Hello, I'm Jamie Bricker. And I'm Carol Bricker. And you're listening to Bricker by Bricker, a podcast to support parents with building productive partnerships between home and school. Well, over the last couple of years, Carol, we have talked about many different aspects of the all-important homeschool partnership. Uh, But I'm sure you agree that this partnership has absolutely never been more important than it is right now. Oh, certainly. We really need to have those open lines of communication between homes and schools to ensure the safety of all of our students. No question, Carol. And as we mentioned in our previous podcast, uh, epidemiologists have been reminding us for the last few months that, not surprisingly, the uh, number of cases in certain boards and certain schools parallels that given community. And I think this quote I recently read by CBC News really kind of nails it. And it says that the best way to lessen the likelihood of COVID-19 spreading through schools is by having a low infection rate in the community. Well, and you and I both follow, probably me a bit more so, you know, the the, I always want to see what the daily numbers are and that sort of thing. But we also have to look at where we're living and within the GTA. And certainly we have to recognize that there are regional differences and that, looking at our numbers in the GTA are certainly going to be significantly higher than other areas in the uh, in the province. And so we really have to be looking at everything based on that regional information. But generally within our province, we certainly have seen a significant increase in cases being reported on a daily basis over the last few weeks. And of course, with the weather change, I mean, obviously the concern is that increase is just going to get steeper and steeper. Oh, definitely. And so really, as you say, it really is a good time knowing that our numbers are going up to really look and see how schools are faring in terms of the number of cases. But I also want to go back to our last podcast where we quoted uh, Dr. Davila, who's the Toronto Director of uh, Public Health. Anyway, she had said that you know, schools were safe and that you know relatively low case counts within schools that weren't transmitting into the community. And then we turn around that night and we hear something on the news that's the exact opposite of what she's saying. So for parents, it's it's got to be a very confusing time. Very stressful time. Very stressful time because whose report do you listen to? And then all of the different reports that and that have been done either within the province, within the country, globally, you know, those results that we're hearing today are reflective of situations, you know, two weeks, a month ago, whatever. So you know, how valid and reliable are they in reflecting what's happening today? Oh, I agree. I think our political and medical leaders nationally, provincially, and at the local level have done a really good conscientious job of keeping us all well informed. But as you say, Carol, with such a fluid situation, inadvertently kind of information can suddenly become kind of misinformation and lead to a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. But I think what we can say generally is that cases within a board or within particular schools really do closely parallel the total number of cases within that community surrounding that given school. Well, to piggyback on that thought, Carol, Dr. Michael Silverman, a medical director of the Infectious Diseases Care Program at St. Joseph's Hospital in London, Ontario, 
he is saying that although Ontario's virus caseload has sharply risen throughout the fall, in what experts are describing, as we've heard of the second wave of the pandemic, uh, Silverman says there's no evidence that it's connected to schools. So that kind of reinforces. You're right. Because I guess, you know, as as they can track where the cases are are originating, I guess they're being able to see that they're not necessarily like the big feeders aren't necessarily being generated within a, within schools. Right, I'm taking it as he's saying that like the, the issues are not arising in a school, yeah. but obviously we'd be extremely uh, naive. naive to not think it's impacting schools. Sure. And I think at this point it's important too that whenever, for the last months, whenever we talk about schools, we all naturally kind of look at the student. The student and, and the how parents. And the yeah. students and the parents. Well, I think we're missing one enormously key piece of the puzzle. And that, of course, are all the staff members, mm-hmm. all the adults who, and frankly, like they're largely like, they, they, you know, they didn't have all the flexibility of the different choices necessarily. Yes. They have to go back. And they've really been under a lot of stress physically and emotionally. Now, to date, about 13%, and obviously that's a, you know, not, not me bang on, but about, you know, 13 to 15% of confirmed cases in schools have involved staff members. And just to clarify, I think it's also, Carol, is, is we both spent careers in education. And even when we look at staff members, it's not just like, oh, the principal and the teachers. There's an awful lot of very dedicated mm-hmm. people outside of those roles, such as educational assistants, early childhood educators, custodial staff has oh, just certainly. had their well, plates I mean, overflowing. Oh, definitely. And then, of course, you get all the office personnel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and just to kind of go back a bit and piggyback on your comment about staff being so stressed and and teachers and principals I'm going to lump into this so much of that stress too has been due to the uncertainty as to what they're going to be teaching and the impact on students transitioning in and out of schools because all of a sudden you know the class that they were teaching and particularly I'm referring to a friend of my daughter who teaches French so all of a sudden, this class that she was teaching French no longer exists, and it really impacts her teachable hours or teachable minutes. And so, you know, she doesn't know from one day to the next what it is she's actually going to be doing. And, you know, she has to be fluid in that. But then she also mentioned that um, part of the stress, too, is that you always have to be upbeat for your students. And and show that that you know positivity and how you know everything is going to be go well and we're you know be enthusiastic about our learning and our lesson and and that is can be very stressful too during these times. Well, and also I think Carol too. I mean, many many teachers, of course, are also balancing the stress of being a parent themselves. Yes. And so there's that's a whole other you know mm-hmm. long list of variables. Yes. Now let's look a little more specifically at. Uh, unfortunately, a very real incident, which occurred a few weeks ago at a school in Scarborough. Uh, And this triggered a work refusal situation as staff members felt that the overall school environment was simply unsafe. And this was after a confirmed case in part of the school. And the Toronto District School Board, of course, responded and they investigated the situation and, and they deemed it safe to return. But then the Labour Ministry was brought in to do its own investigation 
And the ministry then concluded that there there was no what they called imminent danger for mm-hmm. staff. Uh, just to clarify, though, it was more than just one case. There was an outbreak that involved multiple students and teachers. But no, absolutely, you're yeah. absolutely right. But really hit home to me. I was uh, doing a socially distanced gathering with some retired teacher friends, and turns out that the one of the staff members is a friend of of one of my my friends and she actually is quite significantly ill and actually has to be hospitalized so when i think when that happens that really heightens everybody's anxiety and their concern about that return to school but then also on top of that when you know when you talked about the different staff that we consider within a school, you know, this particular staff member was an EA or is an EA working working in the school and supporting supporting students. And so, you know, there is significant demand on on all staff member and significant risk to all staff members as well as as students. And and I think we have to kind of think about that piece as well. Well, as dedicated professionals, I'm sure they're torn on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. They want to do the job to their best of their ability, as they have done for you know years and in some cases decades. Yep. But all of a sudden, some of these imposed parameters don't make, make it, that possible. Yeah, make it very, very difficult. As a result of this outbreak, you know, this the school had one wing that has been temporarily closed and there have been a significant number of students who were asked to stay home and self-isolate, which again presents problems for families as they're trying to uh, work from home or meet their work obligations if they're going outside of the home. And just to kind of add to that kind of uh, overall context, Carol, like prior to this whole outbreak, I mean, the school had already lost about half of its typical student enrollment uh, to virtual learning. And as I said, that was independent of this outbreak. And now since that time, uh, and of these students who have been physically attending, about 20% have tested positive overall. So certainly a significant impact. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, if we look at the the reopening of schools going back into September, you know, the, the main focus really has been on that ensuring of student safety. And as you kind of mentioned earlier, I really think we also need to lump into that and be supportive of the adults who are working in our schools and all of the efforts that they're putting in place in order to make sure that, you know, the working conditions are safe for everybody. And that's, as you said, not just the teaching staff, but looking at the custodial staff and the lunchroom supervisors and the the educational assistants and, and well I just think there's a lot of quote unsung heroes yes that make a school function at its peak. And I think particularly in these very trying, stressful times, we have to acknowledge those people. Mm-hmm. Without them, the schools would not be functioning. Your ch- children would not be at school. They would not be learning, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But I kind of want to piggyback uh, on this. And, you know, we're talking about the stress for for everybody involved and for parents. And, and I think, you know, that's the way we we envision schools based on people we've talked to in that however it was was kind of interesting the other day we were out for a walk and just happened to be in a particular school's um, community at their dismissal time 
And so it, it, it was interesting to see the parents waiting outside to pick up their children and seeing how they were socially distanced around the schoolyard and, and had designated spots where maybe they were meeting up with, you know, children who were a little bit older and could come out and meet them at that spot. But and then seeing the, you know, the kids walking home from school or the, the parents walking home with their children from school. And that did not appear to be any stress. It, it appeared to be kind of a very normalized dismissal and engagement as they were leaving the, leaving the school and, and walking home with their parent. Well, to me, it was a strong kind of affirmation of kind of this partnership we've talked about really at perfection, you know, functioning where obviously there had been protocols, et cetera, put in place that everyone kind of understood and respected. And now after two and a half months, they're really kind of embedded. As you say, it looked very natural. Mm -hmm. That's an excellent mm -hmm. way of putting it. Yeah. And the big thing, too, I, my takeaway there was all the happy faces on the yeah. kids. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, they, you know they except for the masks, be, they have like, yeah. except for yeah. masks, it looked yeah. like a very normal exit of school. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, Carol. Well, as you, unfortunately, as we know, uh, we've, well, the good news is we've had a string of awesome weather. Oh, um, beautiful we've weather. We've been actually been spoiled rotten for November weather. However, uh, the cold weather reality is looming as it's wont to do. And with the colder weather fast approaching, Positive test results are clearly expected to steadily rise over the next few months. And as a result, and not surprisingly, schools are going to face heightened challenges to keep everyone safe. Mm -hmm. I think there was an awful lot of challenges, kind of a whole new environment in September. But now it's almost like another kind oh, of addendum to that, yes. like another newer environment. Yeah, yeah. And once again, want to stress collectively to this point, uh, schools across the province Overall, done a good job implementing and following protocols. However, new challenges are certainly fast approaching. Well, you know, I think back to in the fall and reading about some boards and how they implemented these outdoor learning areas and they constructed those kind of uh, tents or, or you know, the, the canopies or whatever. However, as we move forward, you know, that is going to be less viable, that the kids are going to be able to get outside and, and have, I'm going to say, more sedentary type lessons. If they are going outside in the colder weather, they certainly are going to have to be moving and be active. But also, I think we do have to look at, at our weather here in Ontario and during the winter times, there are some days where you could be going outside with the kids. However, we really need to be uh, looking at and ensuring kids are dressed appropriately so that then we can take advantage of that option. Well, I think in our in our climate, hopefully we have a reasonable winter. I have no idea, but hopefully yeah. weather-wise we do. But I think if we want to stretch the kind of normal routines a little bit weather-wise, most days we could go outside. Yeah. So, you know, we could mm -hmm. go outside. But and no, I think, if we had some good snow, I mean, think of the the structures and the engineering and things like that that could evolve out of constructing things from from the snow. But when I just at this point, Carol, for a second, I think parents should be kind of reminded that the on those chilly days, the very clear mandate comes down from the board you know, in that regard. So it's it's not it's not some yes. kind of random decision. Mm -hmm. And how those kind of guidelines, if they do or do not change a little bit with the COVID, I have, you know, I have no idea. 
But that kind of leads into the whole, like the indoor recess issue. And just as a, as a uh, you know, former school administrator, that was always a, a really big kind of multi-layered concern on days when the kids couldn't go outside, mm. whether it was really cold or pouring rain or whatever. And I think back of all the different, uh, we used to collect, you know, like really interesting thought-provoking old board games and stuff for kids to play in their classroom. Well, of course... Well, that's what that I was going to say. Restricted. How or, do you do that? Or even like the intramurals that typically could happen, or you know the the oh you know this these classes are going to go to the gym. Well, as you know, I, I, like, I would always take you know kind of uh, take a, a several classes on a rotating basis to the gym and you know play King's Court or whatever or basketball. As you say, that's just not a viable option. Mm-hmm. So it makes it really tough that they're going to be inside for, say, uh, you know, an additional kind of hour of the day, and yet you're kind of limited, very limited in physical interaction and got to respect distancing and so mm-hmm. on. That's got to be tough. Yeah. And, of course, they also don't get the break of taking their mask off, like, yeah. uh, you know, outside or whatever. Yeah. Well, I was going to say lunch hour is already a concern for parents, more so with the regards that the kids have to take their masks off to eat. But now it's going to be a heightened concern with them spending that time inside and and what are they going to be doing. But when we go back to talking about kids making sure they've got their appropriate clothing so they can be going outside for some learning opportunities, it reminds me, though, that one of the the strategies that was being implemented was that kids were going to keep their personal items at their desks. So now not only are they going to have their backpack and their their lunch items at their desks, they're going to have snowsuits and and, uh, jackets and mitts and hats. Like, you know, that's just going to be a little problematic around just the amount of space that that's going to take up. So I think that's something that really schools are going to have to really be looking at is how is, you know, this clothing going to be stored for kids safely moving forward? Well, and also too, like uh, whether deliberately or inadvertently, is there any kind of, you know, sharing of some of the clothing and, you know, which which is generally kind of a nice thing to do yes. at times, but just <laughs> not now. Not now. No. Well, let's look Carol at the, like the mental health piece and, uh, I realize uh, with Michael McKnight, we had an excellent oh, great. expert a couple yeah. of months ago, but it's one of those things that, I mean, mental health is a recurring theme, obviously, throughout this entire pandemic in terms of school and broader community. And the reality is for all of us, COVID fatigue is really setting in. And But I think it's so important. We have to kind of take a collective breath and keep our vigilance um, and as the experts say, particularly as our as our restrictions on personal interactions are really starting to to tighten. Um, once again, we're being stuck inside more often, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I think it's getting more and more so that they're recommending that our our contacts are pretty well limited to our everyday household members, well, particularly in the high case count areas, like in the GTA. That's where they're really moving towards that piece, which is going to be stressful on. Well, the people as, like who, who live in a, a smaller family unit, the elderly or single people, that mm-hmm. can be extremely isolating. Oh, so that's kind of a, a subtext or whatever for our entire discussion, even though I know we're looking specifically at schools. Mm-hmm. Well, and just recently in the paper, Dr. Williams, who's the Ontario Chief Medical Health Officer, he really blamed 
the increase in the the numbers of of cases on this COVID fatigue, and and as you say, uh, his recommendation was keep to to members of your own household. And and the idea was that if we do that, okay, we're going to see a drop in case count. But then there was another doctor from St. Michael's who then you know reminded us that it's not going to be a quick fix. That let's look back to April uh, to August, where you know it took us three plus months in order to get those numbers down below a hundred in ideal conditions. Yeah, when I was we're just going to say, you know, when we have those opportunities to be outside and meet up with with friends and family outside and having that social distancing, whereas. You know, that's not going to be the case moving forward. If we want to to see family and friends, it is going to be in closer uh, confines and, and, you know, enclosed environments. And, you know, that that is a piece that's necessary for that mental health piece. Oh, no question. I also think it's important to stress this whole issue of kids going back to school or not which, of course, was huge in latter August. And again, it's certainly lingering when we totally understand. But throughout the pandemic, pediatricians have been warning about the physical, mental, and emotional toll that closed schools have on kids. Mm-hmm. And by closed, you mean schools not open, not not the closed environment of the school. <laughs> Excellent point. This was this is referring to back in, in, in you know, last spring when they literally were closed. But then, of course, it also carries on into now when people are making a, you know, a choice of not going to yeah. school, that th- there certainly are some losses for your child beyond yeah. academics yeah, oh, by not being yeah. there. Yeah. And I, I think that's in our mm-hmm. Well, if we look at the global data around those school closures that happened last spring, you know, they did find that there was an increase in loneliness and, you know, the mental health of people deteriorated with anxiety and depression becoming more prevalent. And we certainly, you know, as you said, we had that previous podcast with Mike, Michael McKnight. And one thing that he really stressed is the need for connectiveness in order to overcome stress and anxiety and depression, that people need to feel connected to others. So if families are going to be looking at virtual school or providing, you know, uh, schooling at home themselves really need to look at how are we going to be providing that connectedness for our kids. Well, you're right, because obviously if the child is not physically attending school now, the overriding concern is their their physical safety, and we totally get that. However, that, you know, we we cannot forget the emotional safety piece too. Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. But really when we're looking at, at the effects of mental health on kids or not, or people in general, really not having um, those connections with others and, and opportunities for, for social interaction, you know, it's most prevalent on kids who have health conditions or special learning needs or also kids who are coming from single parent families or low family incomes. 
you know, those that are having unstable employment or housing issues within their family. Like, you know, these kids are the ones that are going to be most impacted. So we really need to be looking at how can we make these kids feel connected to others? Oh, no question. As you say, the connectivity piece is huge, Carol. But now let's look at the other side of the coin. And uh, in this regard, Dr. Silverman says he's concerned about the levels of fear and anxiety that obviously continue to exist among uh, teachers and all other adults in the school building itself and with and parents with regards to the reopening of schools. So it's we I think we have to be aware of the fact there can be certainly uh, emotional issues and anxiety very understandably related to kind of both decisions. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. So as we have said throughout this fall, there are two very viable learning options available to students across Ontario for the duration of the pandemic. And of course, pa- families have to ultimately decide what works best for them. And we've talked a lot about you know, the the support of families, the support of kids. But I really think that we really also need to make a conscious effort to be supportive and understanding of all staff who are working in the schools during these unprecedented times and not forget that there are stresses on them similarly to the stresses that families. Well, would you not agree, Carol? I think one example of that would be It's just not the same in terms of, uh, speaking of connectivity, connecting parents and teachers. If if parents have questions, et cetera, obviously there may be more emphasis on, you know, texting or email or whatever the case may be. And parents need to understand that teachers are doing their very best, but it isn't like, you know, kind of walking down the hall and tapping tapping on the classroom door after school. That's not happening. Well, and I was just going to say, you know, we've just recently or parents are moving into those parent-teacher interviews, which for the first time, you're not going to be in the same location as your child's teacher and seeing, you know, having those opportunities to see what your child is doing if they're three-way conferences. They're now virtual. And so again, that, that just kind of that layer of removal is there. Yeah, it was, it was kind of an eye-opener for me driving down the street a couple of days ago and you're right when it had on the on the school sign out front of a of an elementary school virtual parent teacher interviews and the dates yes so you're absolutely right mm-hmm. but i think one of the biggest things that we really need to stress is that you know there has never been a time where that homeschool partnership has been more important than it is during this pandemic and you know experts continue to remind us that really when we look at schools they're just mini community communities and everyone has to play their part in order to make them safe for everybody well the phrase we've all heard many times throughout this uh, pandemic is is just so true that we're all in this together and i think the real themes that have really kind of jumped out at me throughout our podcast, Carol, is all stakeholders connected to education really need to focus on being supportive and understanding of one another. And I think, once again, as you say, it's all about that partnership. So once again, we want to thank everyone for joining us. And a reminder, if you have any questions or comments, as always, please email us at brickerbybricker at gmail.com 
or contact us through our website at brickerbybricker.com. And we encourage our listeners to share our podcast with other families they think might be interested. And a reminder to follow us on Voice Ed Radio or any of our other platforms, such as iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcast. And we look forward to connecting with you next time on Bricker by Bricker.